Today's program brought to you by 12 Steps to Natural Gardening, a book by Alfred H. Crowder. That's K-R-A-U-T-T-E-R. This is a nursery man of 45-plus years' experience who converted to organic gardening in order to save the universe. One word I'll leave you with from the book, Rhizosphere, R-H-I-Z-O-S-P-H-E-R-E. The Rhizosphere, this is where the exchange is made between soil and root. We are only as healthy as the soil we are planted in. The 12 Steps to Natural Gardening. Mr. Ross, do you have anything to say about this chapter? Actually, I have a question for you. Chapter 10, you repeat the word ghost over and over again. Ghost and ghostly. Are we dealing with ghosts, Mr. Ross? Are these the spirits of the three men traveling, trying to get home? Well, um, it depends on how you look at it. I guess you could say they are the spirits of these men, but they are also encased in bodies. Mr. Ross, you're hedging. Well, like I said earlier, I'm not exactly sure, but I do know that they're traveling and they have ambition and perseverance and they are in the healing process. I should say so. They took quite a bath at Ma Pickett's. Could you set up chapter 11 for us? Sure, Douglas. Uh, Chapter 11 is when the three gentlemen go to Aintree's farm. And we meet his wife and his two boys who go hunting for a buck. And we are also introduced to a marauding pack of wild dogs. And that's about it for this chapter. Melody Aintree feels this presence. That is correct. She does feel the presence of her husband and that frisson of recognition fuels the energy of the entire chapter. Bravo, Mr. Ross. Chapter 11 Melody Aintree's knees knock together, then her ankles knock together as her toes curl in at the end of her sprawling oak sleigh bed. She heard a knocking on the end of the bed itself, or knocking on the very wall and door of her upstairs bedroom. As daylight dawned, the knocks grew stronger. She was sure her husband was here. Melody Aintree wrapped herself in a tan wool shawl, inserted her feet into her lamb's wool slippers, and went down the stairs to start the fire in the potbelly stove. She checked the front room, but he was not there. She put the kettle on. She checked the front porch. The porch swing swung gently as the sun's rays hit the house. She checked the woodroom off the back of the house. Nothing. She snatched three split logs from the top of the stack and cranked open the stove door and shoved two logs in. She went back to the front window, looked out towards the smoke tree, and on past that to their looming red barn. I bet he's in there, she thought. Stabs of recognition assailed her gut about every minute or so. She placed her hand on the wall as the room warmed up and felt the slight vibration of another knock. The kettle whistled and she made her tea. She went back to the window and stared out at the barn. He must be in there, she thought. Should she check the cellar? 
Snakes down there last weekend slithered in during the midnight chill. Black snake she could abide, kept the rodents down, but she took a sharp-edged shovel to the necks of copperheads. Snake blood, she whispered. She lit the lantern and proceeded down the roughly hewn stairs into the damp chill of the earthen cellar. There lay a decapitated copperhead, all right. Weren't there yesterday. Sharp-edged shovel perched against a post. She half expected to see her husband, but he was not there. Snake bud, she whispered. She retrieved a jar of chili sauce and a jar of pickled beets. A newly shed black snake skin hung from one of the rafters. She left its ghostly presence as a stark reminder to the rodents nesting there. An hour later, Melody Aintree had accompanied her two boys out to the barn for the morning milking. Tom and his brother Earl pitchforked hay into the wooden cradles hanging afront the cows' heads and commenced milking the dappled red and white Herefords. Tom had a hold of Bessie's tit and he squeezed and shot a thin stream of milk into the mewling mouth of the gray and white crooked-toothed cat. In between shots of milk into the mouth of the cat, Earl refreshed himself from the same tit. The young brothers continued squeezing out a popping rhythm, alternating echoes off the milking pale walls. Tears rolled down H.A. Aintree's broken face. Should we go hunting this morning? asked his boy Tom. Yes, we should, little brother. Got to get ourselves a buck. What time? As soon as we finish this. Did you see her crying this morning? No. She was crying when she came up from the basement. She was? Did you say anything to her? I asked her if she was all right. What'd she say? Snake is all. I don't think she likes killing things. We got to drag that dead copperhead out of there. The boys continued milking until their pails were full. Aintree, I, and Goodall maintained our hidden positions up in the hayloft. It was about killing Aintree not to go down to his boys. Melody entered and lingered in the barn. She set to milking the third cow. She rested her cheek against the cow's heaving side. She conjured visions of her loving husband in the frothy milk pail down below. I know you're here, in this barn, but it is okay if you don't want to show yourself yet. Thank you for killing the copperhead. You know how I hate to harm any of God's creatures, even the nasty, dangerous kind. I could tell it was you by how neatly you placed the shovel. Stella raised her head from her outsplayed paws and whined softly. Melody Aintree spoke louder. They're good boys, aren't they? I don't even have to ask them to do their chores. They relish their chores like you did. Earl, he'll go grab that snake and deposit it in the chicken coop before I get back to cook them breakfast. Tom will help him, too. They'll go hunting again today. Got a doe last week, but still hankering for that big buck. They're like you, Papa. Just like to get out in the woods. I tell them, like always, to beware the wild dogs. There's a big pack of them out near the Hannum Road. Tommy said last week he had to stand guard over their kill and shoot a couple shots into the brush as Earl gutted the doe. You taught them well before you left, husband. The two of them can field dress the deer and parcel out the cuts in no time at all, thank you very much. I am aware of the danger, darling. It is fine that I don't see you. It is enough that I feel your presence in this barn. But maybe tonight I will come out here. I don't think anyone is watching the house. I understand you do not want to upset the boys, but you will not scare me. Are you warm enough at night? I will bring out some quilts. I will hang them on the post next to the hayloft. We did well with the haying, didn't we, dear? Almost a full. 
That's where you are, my darling, of course. That makes sense. Warmer up there, but still, you must be starving. I will bring out some victuals, some dry jerky that you cured, some apples, some biscuits, a pail of water for your thirst. Speaking of biscuits, my love, my work's done here, and I've got to get the boys fed before they go off into the woods to take their deer. Before I do all of that, though, love, my kisses to you. I am so happy you are here. I know you have traveled a long and dangerous way. I will come back tonight in the cover of darkness. Let me go feed the children. We held H.A. Aintree suspended as he drank in his wife's barn murmuring. Melody Aintree called out to the boys and they ran and hoisted the milk jug off the wagon. Tommy went out to retrieve eggs while Earl led Delilah to the fenced-in sheep pasture. Go get them dogs, Delilah. Keep them off our sheep. Melody slipped some bacon into the skillet and fried up some eggs for her boys in a thin layer of bacon grease. She dolloped buttermilk biscuits into the pan and they rose up golden brown. Tom and Earl marched past the sheep pasture and on up into the woods, keeping their eyes peeled for wild turkey as they moved onward, Indian quiet, past the badger stand, grabbed their makeshift ladder underneath their deer stand and climbed on up, unwrapped their biscuits and ate, soon bore witness to the Blue Jays' raucous announcement of the marauding pack of wild dogs curving azimuth, just kissing the perimeter of their rifle's range. Should we take a shot? Nope. Too far away, but check the leader. He's looking toward us. They've caught our scent. Well, shouldn't we shoot them, scare them away? That'll scare all the deer away too, dummy. The fact is, maybe they'll run the deer in our direction. Soon enough, a doe and two yearlings bolted through their small clearing, followed closely by a handsome 12-point, which 10-year-old Tommy took down with one shot. The two boys jumped down from the stand, fell upon the dead buck with their skinning knives, and field-dressed the carcass under the arriving eyes of the thinly concealed slobbering pack of wild dogs. Should we shoot one of them? They gonna let us drag this carcass out of here? They're starving, little brother. They won't come after us until they eat the guts, said Earl, who fired his rifle above the loitering pack of hounds. As a yelp shot up from the wood, each brother grasped an antler and hoisted the big buck's carcass between them, running down through the woods toward the near fence post of the upper sheep pasture. Got back to the house and hung the carcass from the iron bar between the cedars, stripped the skin, and bled it dry. Then, with Mama's help, they laid the carcass out on an old sheet atop the picnic table, sliced the hanging heart and liver out and dropped them into the stew pot, sliced the long loins out and sawed off its head. Within the hour, the carcass was butchered up tight. Mama added the thigh bones to the stew pot. You remember how your papa liked his jerky, right, boys? Slip up some long strips and we'll set it to smoking. After lunch, the boys hitched up Daisy to the wagon and took the buck's head in to Wyloosing to be stuffed. You got another one, did you, boys? Yes, sir. See the wild dogs? Yes, sir. Did you get any clear shots? Almost, sir. Earl shot at them to keep them off our kill. Ah, it's getting bad, it is. Gangloff's lost two sheep to him last week. So we heard, sir. Ah, made a real mess of them. Looked like old bloody bones had made a visit. Well, anyway, you've got a good in here. I'll fix them up and mount them good for you, boys. Much obliged, sir. The boys lightly switched Daisy and made it back to the farmhouse for second milking. They slid the barn door open and walked toward the square hall in the hayloft. Both boys touched some quilts hanging on the post and didn't wonder why the quilts were there until they jumped down through the square hall into the waiting mound of hay below. Their mama was already milking and the boys took up their three-legged stools and pails and took their spots next to the other two cows. How'd it go, man? It went well, ma. See anybody in town? Nope. 
Just Mr. France, he said to send his best, said Papa'd be proud. Well, I second that. Papa will be proud, is proud. I'm proud of you too, boys. Mama, should we go kill them hounds? I don't know if that's your responsibility, young one. I'm sure the powers that be and why Lucy are aware of the situation. After the Gangloffs lost their sheep, I'm surprised there are any dogs left out there at all. I would have thought a gang of men would have gone out and destroyed them. Yeah, but those dogs weren't always wild, were they? No, no, son, they weren't. People left them out there, or they ran away, right? Probably so. So it ain't really their fault they commenced a killing. Yeah, but they can't be out there killing livestock, Tom. Your older brother's right. Well, you're both right. The dogs shouldn't be out there in the first place, and they shouldn't be killing livestock. What if they attacked us? Then we'd have to shoot them. But it ain't really their fault they're hungry. They're just trying to survive. So what are you going to do, little brother? Let them eat us? No, but I just don't like killing dogs, that's all. I hear you. I don't think anybody does. Milk plinked against the side of the pails, and Aintree looked at me and Goodall with a proud but heartbroken face. The words of his sons crept into his ears, and he looked at us as if to ask permission to climb down from the hayloft in order to join his family. We met his gaze with downcast eyes and muted wishes of our own.